Amen. And thank you, ladies, for singing that song. That's uh, one of my favorite songs about heaven that we have. I like a lot of the songs that we have about heaven, but that one is a blessing. And appreciate uh, you ladies playing and singing uh, for us. And uh, looking forward to seeing what God's going to do tonight. And a little bit different of a sermon here tonight. I'm going to be teaching more than preaching. And uh, last time I preached, I had the opportunity to preach about Philip the Evangelist and expressed the, the thought that we need to carry the gospel with us. And uh, at the same time, I believe that uh, we also need to teach people how to share the gospel. And so I'm going to share with you some thoughts about sharing the gospel and then want to give you a lesson about how um, I personally share the gospel and uh, the verses that I use. And they seem to work um, pretty good. Not that uh, you can guarantee anyone to get saved, but if a person will listen to an entire presentation of the gospel, they generally call on the Lord, uh, but uh, that doesn't mean they always want to listen. And sometimes they don't even give you the time of day when you first start trying to talk to them. But uh, these are just some verses that God has used for me. So let's go to open our Bibles this evening to the book of First uh, Peter, First Peter chapter number three. First Peter chapter number three, and verse number fifteen. First Peter chapter number three, and verse number fifteen. The Bible says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. And let's go ahead and pray this evening. Father, as we come to you, Lord, I thank you, God, for your word. I thank you for what we can learn from it. And God, I pray that as we study tonight and just learn about witnessing, that you would put within us a desire to share the gospel God, uh, despite our fear, God, despite our reluctance, that we would put ourselves aside so that we could share the good news with others. God, uh, if, if anyone's like me, Lord, I, I struggle um, to, to witness to people. I, I get nervous. I'm afraid. I wonder what people are going to think. And most people are like that, Lord. And we need you to help us to be the witness that you've called us to be. And so, God, I pray that you would put within us a desire to, to share the gospel and Help this time, Lord, as we look at your word, uh, just another way to share the gospel, Lord. It's all the same message, but um, just taking verses, and God, help us, I pray, to learn from this and to be able to apply it and share it with others, we pray in Jesus' name, amen, amen. As we read this passage of scripture, the Bible says that we're to be ready always to give an answer, and that, that's pretty blank, point blank there, at all times, we're to be ready to, to share the gospel. And when I read this passage of scripture, I see a few things that stand out in our uh, wanting to present the gospel and wanting to, to share the Lord and so forth. And the first thing I see in this, just going to kind of break it up real quick and then we'll look further on. But the first thing I see is that we need to have a clean heart whenever we are to, to share the gospel. And I find that uh, it's interesting. Uh, often, um, sometimes people want you to, to witness to them at what would be considered a, an inconvenient time. And it's easy to just kind of put things aside or to have a bad spirit or a bad attitude. Um, you know, often, too, when people want to witness to us or want us to witness to them, we may not be as spiritual as we think we need to be. That's why we need to make sure to have a clean heart. And so it says there to sanctify the Lord God 
in your hearts. If you're saved, God lives in your hearts, and we're to sanctify our hearts, and we're to have a clean heart before the Lord. That word sanctify kind of has the, the definition of almost where you think of sanitary, and right now we're in the midst of all this coronavirus stuff, and everyone's trying to keep everything sanitary, and uh, we have uh, Miss Mary that's come to the church, and she's cleaned up, and I've seen her um, wiping down hymn books, wiping our, our pews, and, and cleaning everything, and this, this place is uh, sanitary right now. It's very, very clean. And that's the idea of having our hearts clean. We're to have a clean heart before the Lord. If we're going to be the witness that God wants us to be, we need to do our part to make sure that our hearts are clean. And so that's just a thought to consider. God can't use us to be a witness if we have sin in our lives. And I remember hearing someone say, well, I just, I can't witness to people because I'm doing the same things as they are. And, and I have to stop and ask myself this question, is my sin more important than their soul? I need to be willing to sanctify my heart. I need to be clean before the Lord and clean before others. And so we're to, if we're to be a witness that God wants us to be, we need to sanctify the Lord God in our hearts. We need to have a clean heart. And it says always, uh, if we're going to be ready to witness always, that means we need to strive to have a clean heart all the time. And then you see here, as you continue reading, it says, verse uh, 315, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always uh, to give an answer. Um, so there's that clean heart, and we're to be ready always. I, I mentioned earlier that there's um, a lot of times there's not a convenient time to share the gospel. Um, there, there's been times um, whenever I pastored in Taos where, you know, we'd be at home doing our thing and have dinner or just finish eating dinner, the family just relaxing, and we get a phone call and, and someone says, so-and-so's in the hospital or can you come to my house? Uh, I have someone at my house that wants to hear the gospel or trying to witness, and, and it's never convenient, and, and yet uh, we need to always be ready to give the gospel. I think of a time in particular we had um, I forget if we had come back from church from here on a Sunday night or if we had come back from another meeting, but regardless, um, we had got home and it was around 10 o'clock at night and we had our fence on our property and it only went halfway back down and then the rest of it, we hadn't, didn't have it fenced off. And as we pull in, get the kids out, the kids are all knocked out in the car seats, we're hauling them over our shoulders, taking them in, and I go back outside to get whatever was in the, in the car and then I hear someone, Stevan! Are you there? And it's like, you know, 10, 11 o'clock at night. And yeah, it's me. Who, who is it? And it's me, your neighbor. And, uh, and, and you know, he's out there and he's just struggling with some things. He gotten drunk and he's depressed about some stuff. Can you come and talk to me? And, and all that. And I went out there and, you know, 10 o'clock and I didn't get home till midnight and all that kind of stuff. Just witnessing to this friend and, or a neighbor. And uh, he ended up, you know, just wanting to go down the street to go and party. And he's like, I'm probably going to get in a fight. And I had to talk him out of going down there and getting in a fight with people and all this stuff. And all that to say this, that we're to be ready always. And, and it doesn't always work out in in our favor that we witness to people, but it needs to always work out in their favor um, that we witness to people. We need to be ready always. And so um, we're to have a clean heart. Um, we're to be ready always. And we're to be ready always, what? To give an answer to every man that asketh the reason of the hope that is in you. To, we're to be ready to what? Give an answer. And to answer about our hope. And that, that has a, 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 almost, in my mind, two ways of looking at it. One, you know, they, they should question us, and so we need to be ready to answer their questions. But two, because we're Christians, they ought to see the hope that is in us that compels them. 
to ask the questions of our hope. Um, not not to, to look at us and say, well, why are you different because this, this, and this? But what is that hope that you have? Why do you have faith? Why do you have the joy of the Lord? Why are you the way you are? And so we need to be ready to give an answer of that hope, to have an answer but also to live a life that demonstrates that we have hope, um, that there's a hope that is in us, and we have a hope beyond the grave, and, and people ought to see that hope that is in us. We're to let our light shine, and, and we need to do good things. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. They're to see good things out of our lives, not just what we don't do, but what we do and uh, the hope that we have. And so often I believe we as independent Baptists could um, get so focused on don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. And yes, there are a lot of don'ts that we shouldn't do. Um, but I want to say this, there's a lot of things we should do. And you think about the two great commandments that Jesus Christ gave. Um, the first was this, to love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And he said the second is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Uh, and you read about uh, you know letting your light shine and seen your good works and and we as independent baptists can get so focused on what you shouldn't do and don't do this and don't go here and so forth and all those things i stand for uh, and i stand behind but what do we do and what do we stand for do people see the joy of the lord do people see the encouragement do people see that god is in us that he's real and and so there's that hope that is in us so we need to be ready to give answers of the hope of the hope that is in us and then lastly it says with meekness and fear. I have written in my notes under that um, two comparable words, humility and reverence. Now this is where I struggle, um, and I'll be the first to admit it. I, I am, my, my, by nature, my spiritual gift is prophet. I see things very black and white, and, and I, I see things the way they are, and if you're out of line, let's get back in line. Come on, don't, let's not waste time. God uh, wants you to serve Him and so forth, and I have to learn mercy, and I'm continually learning it, and uh, often even the, the students, I deal with them, and, and they probably say, man, He has no mercy. You should have seen me when I first got saved, amen? I mean, it, I've come a long way, and I still have a lot more to go, um, but uh, that idea of meekness and fear, humility and reverence. You know, I think that's where we lose a lot of people when we witness to them. Because we don't have humility. We, we, we draw a line and we know we're right. According to the Word of God, we know we're right. And we automatically put them in the wrong. And when we do that, they look at it as if we're putting them down. And to be honest, sometimes we lift ourselves up in our right position. But the Bible says there that we're to... to Give these answers with meekness, with humility, our strength under control and fear. And that idea of fear is the idea of reverence, how we fear God, we revere God, and, and we're to treat others with that same type of reverence. And imagine if we came to people to witness to them with respect and humility, the difference it would make in sharing the gospel with them. It probably wouldn't turn into an argument. It probably wouldn't turn into a shouting match. And I can say this much that I've been on the wrong side of this many times in my spiritual life and I ask God to help me to have meekness and fear to have that humility and reverence and respect for others and so as we consider these thoughts here God wants us to be ready always to give an answer and as I mentioned I had preached last time about Philip the evangelist and talked about how we are to carry the gospel with us everywhere we go and so I want to teach us about being a witness I want to teach us tonight about how to share the gospel I'm going to give you a few um, thoughts here about sharing the gospel one that I think is very vital is uh, this that you always need to use the Bible 
when you witness to people. Now, that doesn't mean you always have a Bible to pull out and show them, but you ought to quote scripture. I heard a preacher say this once, and I feel it was on dangerous ground, where he said, you don't need to use the Bible to witness to people. All you got to do is just tell them the story, and, and you can convince them of that. And I said, you know, the Bible says faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. You have to give them the Bible. If they just believe your story, what's the difference between a kid believing their parents and Santa Claus? See, it's not uh, me that saves them. It's not my word that saves them. It's not this church that can save them. It's what we hear in the word of God. So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. That's in Romans chapter number 10. We need to share the word of God with people. If anything, quote scripture and, and show them um, that they're lost, and show them that Jesus saves, and if they have anything to hold on to, it's not your salesmanship tactics it's they heard something from the bible and they believed that and that's what saved them is hearing the word of god there they believe so then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of god that's a fundamental thing whenever we share the gospel we need to give people the word um that's what convicts if that's where the authorities at um that that's where um you know the bible says that we're born again by the spirit of god john, uh, john chapter 3 and we're born again by the word of god and in first peter and so um we, as you have a mother and a Father, you have the Holy Spirit and you have the Word of God. And those two combined make a child of God whenever they get saved. And so we, we need the Word of God as we witness to people. Um, I remember also um, as we share the gospel, uh, we need to be clear in our gospel presentation. We can't rush through it. This isn't a salesmanship type of thing just to get another number. Uh, I remember I traveled with this evangelist for a few weeks uh, when I had first uh, gotten to the ministry. And uh, he was going around and he wanted to go over these southern states uh, from the south in, um, in, the, in the southeast. And there's the, the, the Mason-Dixon line, Mason-Dixie line, and go across that and kind of drew a line across the whole south all the way to California. And his goal was to have 50 people saved in every single one of those states. And, and he was doing everything he can to grasp at numbers just to get people to pray prayers. And I remember he walked into a GameStop. I was with him. And as he walked into a GameStop, there was a teenager there. And he was playing a video game. And this man's, I could show you two verses, one how to get to heaven and one how to go to hell. And this young boy is just sitting there listening to him out of the side of his ear, but just playing the video game. I don't even think he's really paying attention that much. And at the end, and he was all said and done, within about five minutes, he had that kid praying. And he said, man, that kid got saved. And, and, all I, said, and I asked him, do you think he even listened to to you and man he got mad whenever I questioned him he's the evangelist is going to get 50 people saved in every southern state and and I just looked at that and I said man that that's not right there just he's playing a video game not paying attention and then he bows his head with the headphones still on his head and that kind of stuff and the controller still in his hand and just repeated a prayer and said yep I'm saved and or at least the preacher said yep you're saved I don't even think he claimed to be saved he didn't understand it we need to be clear in our gospel presentation so we need to be rooted in the word of God, present the word of God. We need to be clear in our gospel presentation. And then here's another, a few other things here. that They need to understand their lost condition and its consequences. As someone once said, um, you can't get saved until you realize you're lost. And, you know, you can't have the power of God until you realize you're weak. You can't get help from the Lord until you realize you're helpless. And you can't get saved until you recognize that you're lost. And let me say this, it's not uh, just, oh, sin in general, and that's kind of a general thing. They need to fall under conviction themselves personally and recognize, man, I am lost. I'm going to die and go to hell and fall under conviction like you read in the Bible whenever they got saved. In Acts chapter 2, they were pricked in their hearts, the Bible says. Or whenever Paul got saved and Jesus told them, it is hard for 
ability to, to kick against the pricks. And, and he read the, the Philippian jailer. He came in and he was a trembling and he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They all understood they were lost. They, they understood their condition. They were afraid to stand before God. They, they knew that they were going uh, to hell and, and they wanted to be saved from their sin. They recognized their sin is what put them in that condition. And so they understood their lost condition and its consequences. Not only that, they need to understand the finished work of Christ. And this is a big thing because, yes, Jesus died for us, but he also rose for us. And they need to understand that he, he's not in the grave anymore. Um, there was a man by the name of Brother Forrest that I got to meet. He was... Um, I traveled in a ministry called Neighborhood Bible Time in between my sophomore and junior year in Bible college. And uh, as I went out and traveled, um, we went to this Bible time training and they had us in like a boot camp and they would train us. And then we'd go out and hold youth revivals and come back for R&R. &R. And you say, is that for rest and relaxation? No, it was for re rebuke and repent. Amen. They, they, we had all these rules we were to follow and all that. And we crossed the line. They give us swats. I was, you know, 20 years old getting swatted by a grown man and all that kind of stuff. It was, it was a good time. It was like kind of like hazing and everything else. It's just something guys like doing. All of us are cheering for each other, getting our swats and everything. It was a good time. But uh, Brother Forrest was there. And as Brother Forrest was uh, preaching to us, he, was, he preached a whole message on the importance of presenting the resurrection whenever you witness to people. And he had started off with the story of a young man that he had, um, was witnessing to. And he was going through the whole gospel. And as he was right at the end, he, he told him, you know, you believe Jesus died for you. And he said the Spirit of God convicted him. And said, um, you know, mention the resurrection. And he says, so do you believe Jesus died for you? And the young man said, yes. And he says, do you believe Jesus rose for you? And he says, you know what? I don't believe that someone could raise from the dead. And he was this close to getting this young man to pray. And then he realized this young man doesn't believe it. Um, he, he doesn't believe it all. And so whenever we witness to people, they need to understand their lost condition and its consequences but they need to believe fully in the finished work of Christ, um, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. Not only that, but they need to be willing to turn to Jesus to be saved from sin. And that, that's the final part. Jesus said, repent ye and believe the gospel. Um, you say, well, all you do is believe. Well, the devils believe and tremble, the Bible says. There needs to be a repentance where they turn to the Lord. They stop trusting themselves. They stop trusting their religion. They recognize they're in sin and that they need to be saved. They can't even save themselves. And they say, Jesus, I need you. I'm, I'm trusting you what you did. I'm calling on you to save me. Um, so those are some fundamental thoughts when witnessing. So let's go ahead and take our Bibles and go to the gospel of John chapter number three John chapter number three and these are the verses that I use when I witness to people and I'll say this I talked I talked to the pastor um, before um, the service and I told him what I was be, what I'd be preaching about and just express that these verses that I use have worked both with religious people and even agnostic people um, I've seen people that were very religious calling the Lord after presenting these verses and also people who didn't know what they believed and didn't even believe in God um, get saved afterward. We had one young man in particular that came to our church as a result of um, a mailer that we had sent out and a, a family came to our church and they got saved and they began to bring people to, to church there in Taos. And, and this young man came to church and he's, I'm agnostic, I believe in evolution, da 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 da, da. And after church that morning, um, he and uh, myself and another man from our church sat down and I wanted this man to sit with me because he was a very scientific man and just very 
he was a thinker and, and he was able to, to present a logical case for the Bible. And so this uh, young man and, uh, that was lost and this man from our church began to kind of go at it. And, and uh, the man from our church began to just share all these different things regarding science and the fallacy of evolution and all these different things. And when it was all said and done, he said, you know, you gave me something to think about. Well, he went home and then he came back the next Sunday. When he came back the next Sunday, he sat under the preaching, and I just pre- we're going through the uh, book of the Bible, and, and it happened to be a kind of a salvation message and so forth. And after church that morning, I sat down with him again, and I began, I told him, look, we talked about science. I'm going to tell you what the Bible says now. And we sat down, and he, he was open for debate. He, he was like, you know, wanting to hear a new thing and that kind of stuff. He'd read of Athens, and he wanted to hear something. And I just went through these verses that I'm about to explain to you. And when I was all said and done, he... Um, he got saved. He called to the Lord. And he came to church. He was faithful for a long time until he moved and so forth. But he got saved. But after he got saved, he, his very first words, and he was done, he said, you know, last week when you told me about that science and evolution and all that, it was like I got hit with a brick in the face. He goes, but when you showed me the Bible, it was like a bag of bricks. And, and it just like, boom, just woke him up and just the conviction that was there. And so I say that to say this, that the word of God works. Amen. There's power in the scriptures and we need to be ready always to give an answer. And so we're going to go with John chapter 3. And this is where I start when I witness to people. And John chapter 3, verse 1, the Bible says, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. He had an element of faith there already, but he still didn't understand the new birth. That's a lot of religious people. They have an element of faith, but they don't fully trust in Christ entirely. So um, verse number three, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, You must be born again. And so in the presentation of the gospel, this is what I first use. And as I deal with people, you know, go door knocking or whatever, and and I get to finally, you know, dealing with them about their salvation. And I often ask him, you know, if you were to stand before God right now as you are, why would he allow you into heaven or would he allow you into heaven? Do you know? And I like to add that as you are right now because it makes them think of themselves, not, well, and I'm kind of a good person, but like, you know, there's been times I've witnessed to people and, you know, they were drinking right before. And so as you are right now, man, I was drinking, you know, I was smoking, I was, you heard me cussing just a few minutes, and it kind of just set some conviction in them. That's how I usually ask that question. I don't ask if you were to die today, you 100% sure you go to heaven, not against that. But I just ask if you were to stand before God right now as you are, would he allow you into heaven or why should he allow you into heaven? And, and then I say, well, you know, Jesus himself told us how a person can know they're going to heaven. In fact, the Bible says, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the only begotten Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. Not hope, not wish, not wonder, not think, but know that you can go um, to be with the Lord for all eternity. And if Jesus told you how you could be saved, would you listen to him? 
And often they'll say, yeah, you know, it's Jesus. It's not me. It's not a church. It's, it's Jesus saying these things. And I showed them this. And the first thing I highlight is this religious man. He, he was a Pharisee. And I explained how he was looked up to as a religious leader. And it's the person that, man, that person's holy. That person is righteous and, and so forth. And the real deal, not, a, not the type that is hypocritical, but someone who um, you look at them and you know their religion is sincere. And I often say, do you know anyone whose religion is sincere? You know, And I say, you know, there's a lot of times I could think of my grandma. She, she's a very sincere woman. I know grandma prays for me sincerely. And often a lot of people can relate to a sincere grandma who's very religious. And, and I say, man, that, that's what they thought of when they saw this person. He was religious, but he was still lost. And Jesus told them the only way to be saved is to be born again. And I show them verses 5 and 6 very particularly. Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water, and I say, hold on to that word water, and of spirit. And I say, notice the spirit there is capital. That's referring to the Holy Spirit. It says, if they're not born of water and of spirit, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So I say, what was the first thing they need to be born of? Water. What's the second thing they need to be born of? Spirit. The first one, water. Second one, spirit. Let's look at the next verse then. Um, verse number six, that which is born of the Flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. And I tell them, what's the first thing? Water. What's the second thing? Spirit. And I say, look at that next verse. What's the second thing in there? Spirit. What's the first thing? Flesh. And I say, those two are in alignment, water and flesh there, and spirit and spirit. And I say, do you know what that water, flesh, birth is talking about? Most people have no clue. And so I say, well, you know, when your mother um, was expecting you, and if she didn't have a cesarean, and even if she did, um, you know, she went into labor, and when she went into labor, um, she had some contractions, and she had a contraction that did what's called breaking the water, and, uh, you know, her, your mother's water broke, and, and uh, that's when she knew you were coming, and you were on the, your way to this world, and, and so forth, and, and so there's a spiritual birth, and there's this natural birth, and it's called the birth of the flesh, it's called the birth of water, and all of us have experienced that birth, you've been born once, and I usually ask them, when's your birthday, and I tell them, you know, especially if it's a lady, you don't have to tell me what year it is, just what, what day is it, you know, is it in March, or, or whatever, and they'll tell me that's, your, that's my birthday. And I say, you have one birthday, right? And they say, yes. Okay, well, then you need to have a spiritual birthday as well. Let me explain to you this. And so as I begin to tell them, I show them that they were born of the flesh. And I emphasize that flesh part. And then I say, you know, and we all have a flesh. And, you know, and I often um, I'll pull my skin or something like that. And this is flesh there. And every single one of us have it. That's natural. That's who we are as a person. And we came, all of us came to this world the same way. We were born by our mother through this natural birth. But that natural birth is called the flesh. But the Bible has some things to say about our flesh, who we are naturally. So turn your Bibles to the book of Galatians now. And this is where I begin to deal with sin. And so Galatians this evening, Galatians chapter number 5. Sorry, I'm trying to find my place there. I keep skipping over it. Galatians chapter 5 and verse number 18. And verse number 19, rather. Galatians chapter 5 and verse number 19. The Bible says, Now the works of the flesh are manifest. And I stop there and I say, this is our flesh. You just admitted that you were born of the flesh. 
This is what your flesh is capable of. And then I tell them, it says, the works of the flesh are manifest. That word manifest is a word we don't use often, but it means it shows forth. It comes forth. It just, it comes out naturally without having to fight it. It just comes out. And so these things come out of your flesh naturally. Well, what are these things? We look again at verse 19. Now, the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, Hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I have told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. And so I show them that and I say, this is what your flesh is capable of. And often I'll tell them something along the lines, you know, if they have brothers and sisters or if they have kids, if they're adults, um, you know, did you have to teach your brother how to sin? I never pointed on them. Um, you know, I said, did you have to teach your brother to sin or your sister to sin or your kids to sin? And right away, no, I didn't have to, to teach them anything. And, and I'll say, you know, it's funny. I've had three kids and every single one of them, when they were little, were selfish from the get-go. Um, they, they wanted something, and they wanted it now, and they're willing to throw a fit in order to get it, and they reach for things, they want it. You know, one of the very first words that kids learn is mine, mine, you know, mine, mine. You know, you look at a toddler, and you look at them, and they say, well, um, you know, if it looks like mine, it's mine. If it, if it doesn't look like mine, it's mine. If I want it, it's mine, 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 mine. That's just that selfish nature from a young age, and you don't have to teach kids to be selfish. You have to teach them to be good, because naturally... We do bad, and that's our, the works of our flesh are manifest. They just come out, and, and I tell them that little illustration, and I begin to tell them these different things that are there, and in particular, I highlight adultery, and I highlight um, murders, and I tell them, you know, Jesus said if you lust after someone, um, it's as if you committed adultery in your heart already, and if you, um, if you hate someone, it's as if you've uh, committed murder already, and, and Jesus put the standard high there, um, that, that we, uh, he is holy, and we're sinful, and these things just come out, and, and I show them that, and I say, these are what, this is what your flesh is capable of, and, and you've sinned, and I've sinned, all of us have sinned, and, and then from there, I take him to the book of Revelation, chapter number 21. Revelation 21, I'm not going to spend as much time as I normally do explaining these things. I'm trying to give you these verses, but Revelation 21 and verse number 8, a very famous verse often in witnessing to people. Revelation 21 and verse number 8. The Bible says, but the fearful, and I'll begin to just describe this verse. I'm fearful. You say, what does fearful mean? And I tell them, you know, that's the person who knows the truth, but they're not willing to accept it because they're afraid of what other people think. They're afraid of their peers. You know, there's, there's a lot of people, let me say, there's a lot of people that don't get saved because they're afraid of what their friends are going to say. They're afraid of what their family's going to say. They're afraid of what the, their peers are going to say and what society's going to say. They don't want to sell out for God. They don't want to give their heart to the Lord because they're afraid of the opinion of other people. And so that's the fearful Fearful go to the same hell as murderers because sin is sin. And so the fearful, they don't have faith in the Lord. This is unbelieving. That's the atheist. That's the agnostic. That's the person who just doesn't believe um, in God. And then it says the abominable. And I often say, so, you know, that's the child molester right there. And that's the rapist and, and all these different people that you see. Um, then from there, it says murderers. And we understand what a murderer is. And, and then whoremongers. And, and I say, you know, that people talk about the that's the woman of the night. And I say, it's 
just the guy that goes with her because it takes two to tango, amen? Um, and so you hear about the woman that was caught in adultery. And I often say, where was the man involved in the situation, amen? Where was the other person? But nevertheless, it says there, um, the, the whoremonger, um, that's the immoral life and sorcerers. And, and, you know, we live in a place that's very religious. And with that religion, particularly in New Mexico, there is a lot of sorcery involved. And there's palm readers and tarot cards and, and they get all these different things and horoscopes and everything else. That's all sorcery. All of it's sorcery. And that's, you know, trusting these witches and, and warlocks and, and all these different things. And idolaters and, you know, having a statue. And it's amazing when I say that and I say, you know, it's having some kind of statue that you pray to. And, and you're in a religious home, um, you see statues in their homes and they can get offended or they can get uh, humbled pretty quick. And it's either one or the other. Um, there's no in between. They're either, man, they look at their statue and they're like looking at you like, what are you going to say about that? And that kind of thing, where right away they defend it. But you see it just come up, and then it says, All liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And I say, have you ever told a lie? And most people will admit they've told a lie. And I say, you know why lying is so bad? And say, why, why would God send a liar to hell? And I say, well, because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth. And the life. And lying is opposite of truth. And Jesus is truth. And so if you lie, you're doing exactly opposite of who Jesus is. That, that's, lying is very, very bad. And, and so you see here, all these different sins are worthy of the lake of fire. And he says there, he says that you'll burn in the lake of fire, in the lake of fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Um, and I tell them, after I show them all these things, and, and they, they see that they're sinners, I say, now, now if you were to stand before God in your sin, according to this verse, where would he have to send you? And at that point, if, if they still don't get it, I try to paint it a little more. And if they don't, I'll just leave them a tract and say, I'm praying for you, why don't you read this and so forth. But if they're like, man, you know what, if I stand before God, I'm going to go to hell. And they, 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 you can see that they understand that. I began to show them the other part. Another thing I skipped out on that I forgot to mention when I witnessed to people is that whenever I witness to them, I tell them, what I'm going to share with you is the gospel. And the word gospel means good news. And I'm going to tell you some good news, but good news is good when you realize you're in a bad situation. So let me tell you the bad first and then I'll tell you the good news. And so I tell them that normally, and I begin to witness to them. And then when I get to this part, and they understand all this bad, I say, now that's all the bad. Let me tell you the good. Let me tell you the gospel. And, and you could just see a, a relief that comes upon them. You could tell they were under conviction up until this point. And as you begin to clearly lay out the word of God, um, you, you could um, see that conviction, and then you can see that encouragement that you can tell them the good news. It's kind of like how the men said, men and brethren, what shall we do? I mean, what, what am I going to do? I don't know what to do. I'm going to stand before God. I'm a sinner. I'm going to go to hell. And well, let me tell you what to do. Um, there, there's some hope for you. Amen. And so if they don't quite understand why liars go to the same hell as murderers, I also show them this other verse in James chapter number two. And so let's go to James chapter number two real quickly. And, and I show them this, and sometimes I share the whole section and give them the context, but a lot of times I just show them one part. In uh, James chapter 2 and verse 10, the Bible says, For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. And I tell them, this is why liars go to the same hell 
as murderers because if you offend at one point, you're guilty of all. And, and then I'll use this illustration, you know, because most people have big screen TVs in their house. And I'll say, man, you know, you got a nice TV there. I'll let, let me show you something here. And, and if they have rocks around the yard, I'll pick one up and that kind of stuff. So can I pick this up real quick? And they say, yeah, go ahead. And I say, now, here's this rock. And I get like a little rock. And then I get like a big rock. And I say, if I were to throw this rock at your TV and break it, would you get mad? And they said, well, yeah. And so if I were to throw this big rock at your TV and break it, would you get mad? And they say, well, yeah, of course. And I say, well, this is just a little rock. And you stand before God and say, this is just a little sin. And I say that the fact is, it's not the size of the sin. The fact is we've broken God's law. And you would be upset at me for breaking your television regardless of the size of the throne that I uh, threw, the stone that I threw. Um, and you look at God who is holy a holy God must punish sin. And regardless of the size, we have broken his law. And so that's why liars go to the same hell as murderers, because we've broken his law. And so and I, when, if they don't understand at that point, that's like, I normally can, I'm going to pray for you and that kind of thing. But I try to witness to them, just try to get them to understand that if they can't get past that, then it's, uh, you know, okay, I'll just pray for you and so forth. But when they see that and they recognize, man, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior, that's when I, again, make that shift. I've told you the bad news, now let me tell you the good news. And from there, I take them to Romans chapter number 6. And this is where we get into some kind of familiar ground with witnessing to people. Um, take them to Romans 6 and verse 23. A lot of us know this. Probably most of us can quote this by memory. The Bible says, For the wages of sin is death. And I stop there. I say, in a perfect world, you can go out and work um, for, let's say, $10 an hour, and uh, you don't have to pay taxes. So you work for $10 an hour, and you don't have to pay taxes in a perfect world, amen? So how much would you make at the end of 10 hours? Well, 100 bucks, because you get what you deserve. And I say, that's what the word wages are there. And so when you get what you deserve, the Bible says the wages of sin, what you get, what you deserve for sin is death. And I say, remember the Bible says, whosoever is not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. That's the death this is talking about. If you stood before God in your sin and you got what you deserved, death is the payment and that payment is the lake of fire. That's the bad news. But there's the good news. It says, therefore, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And I show them that, and I say, here's the thing. God loved you enough that he sent his son to die for you. Because the wages is, the, the wage is death. Um, if you got what you deserve, you'd have to pay for it in death. But Jesus came to give us life. And then I take him back to Romans 5, and verse number um, 6. It says, therefore, when we were yet without strength in due time, look at this, Christ died for the ungodly. I said, that, that's the sinners, that's you and me. And then it says in verse 7, For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. And I say, in, in a world like ours, um, people understand someone dying in the place of a dignitary. And I often tell them, regardless of what your political affiliation is, if someone were to try to kill the president and the bodyguard were to stand before him and take the bullet, Everyone would recognize that is a noble cause to die for a president, to die for a world leader. Um, that's the good person. We understand someone dying for a good person, 
But look at what the Bible says here, verse 7 or 8. But God commended His love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus didn't die for the good. He died for all. Amen. He died for all sinners. And I show them that, and I say, we understand someone dying for good, but would you ever send someone to die for someone who's bad? And they're like, no. And I say, that, that's what Jesus did. And at that point, I normally will tell them the story of the thief on the cross. And I'll say, Jesus was there, and the man was on his right, and the other on the left. And, and one said, you know, mocking Jesus. And the other is, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And, and you see this man, and you know, we're here because we deserve it, but you don't deserve any of this, Lord. And, and yet Jesus died for him right there. And at that point, I tell them, he couldn't go to church. He couldn't get baptized. He couldn't give it an offering plate. He couldn't do anything. All he can do was look to faith in Jesus. And he believed that Jesus not only died for him, but that Jesus would resurrect because he talked about him going into paradise, um, eternal life. And I say, Jesus died for you. And he died for the worst of the worst. He died for all. And often I'll even explain a little bit about the cross, just the nails and the crown of thorns and, and that kind of stuff. But all that painting, all that picture... And I say, that's good news, isn't it? And they say, yeah, it is. It's good news. He died for us. And so then I go over this and I say, do you believe that you're a sinner? Yes. Do you believe that if you were to stand before God in your sin that you'd have to go to hell? Yes. I say, do you believe Jesus died for you? And they say, yes. I say, let me show you one more verse. And I take into Romans chapter number 10. Romans chapter 10. And I take them to verse number 9. And I show them that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth in him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I say, Jesus died for you, but he resurrected to give you eternal life. And I often use it like this. I'll say, he died to pay for your sins, but he rose to give you eternal life, to give you everlasting life. And, and do you believe that Jesus died for you? And then I'll pick up where I left off. And I'll admit, I think when I'm going through all this stuff, and as I'm asking them these questions, I believe at that moment, that's genuinely when they get saved. Because I'll say, do you believe you're a sinner? Yes. Do you believe you're going to hell? Yes. Do you believe Jesus died for you? Yes. Do you believe he rose from the dead to give you eternal life? Yes. Do you want to call on him right now to save you from your sins? And they say yes. And, and I believe as we're going through all that, it's coming from the heart and coming out of the mouth. And I show them that verse, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. And then I say, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I say, it's kind of like this. You're in quicksand right now. That quicksand is represented, represents your sin. There's nothing you can do to get yourself out of that quicksand. In fact, the more you try to get out, the more you're going to sink. And that's like going to church, being religious. You're in sin. doesn't matter how much you try to get out. You're still sinking. Eventually, the quicksand will kill you. The only way you could be saved out of quicksand is to stop trying and to call for someone else to save you. And I say, that's what Jesus did. When he died and resurrected, he made available a way for you to be saved from your sin. And I say, do you want to call on him right now to save you? And they say, yes, I, I believe it. at that moment, that's really when they get saved because they believe in their heart. They're confessing with their mouth, but often they, I help them with the prayer 
And when it's all said and done, and they call on the Lord and they pray, and a lot of times I tell them to pray themselves. I don't normally lead them in a prayer. I might I tell them, you know, something you could pray and ask God, you know, tell them, you know, God, I know I'm a sinner and I believe Jesus died and resurrected for me. Please save me from my sins. It doesn't have to be some immaculate prayer. It's like the man said, you know, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. I mean, it's that simple. And, and they bow their head and they'll pray. And then when they're done, I said, did you call on his name? And they say, yes. And then I say, did you believe in your heart? And they say, yes. And I said, do you confess that he died for you and you asked him to save you? And they say, yes. And I show them those verses again. And I say, God is not a liar. And if you did what this says, you're saved. And then I shake their hand and, you know, welcome into the family of God and, and that kind of thing. But I, I, I'm very thorough in these things. I don't just say that to a person. I, I want them to understand these things. And so that's how I personally present the gospel. And like I said, I've seen people that were religious get saved. Um, I've seen people who were um, agnostic and atheistic get saved. And everyone in between just by simply presenting those verses. And so I want to challenge us this evening that we would, um, as I preached again, we need to carry the gospel with us everywhere. Let's take these verses and let's um, use them and witness to people. I'll just read them over really quickly if you need to, to get them down again. John chapter 3 verses 1 through 7 dealing with the flesh water birth and the spiritual birth. And then Galatians chapter 5 verses 19 to 21 dealing about the flesh. Revelation 21 verse 8 talking about the consequence of our sin. And then I also show them James 2.10 to show them why liars go to the same hell as murderers. And then, you know, I ask them at that point, um, right now, where would you go um, with your sin if you were to stand before God? And death is the payment. Um, and I also sometimes say either you pay for it or Jesus pays for it. The choice is yours. Who are you going to trust? Um, you know, your religion can't save you. Baptism can't save you. Good works can't save you. Um, that's why Jesus died. He died for sinners. He didn't die for the righteous. He died for the unrighteous. So if you're going to say Jesus died for you, you have to admit that Jesus died for you because you are a sinner. Um, and then, you know, death is the payment. Then I show them Romans 3.23, Romans 5, um, 6 through 8, and then Romans 10. 9 through 13. And so that's how I share the gospel. And, and it's something that just seems to be um, effective and, and not that uh, numbers necessarily justify things because I've seen people, I've gone through these same verses and they say no, they, they don't admit it. They don't want to get saved, you know, religious people um, and so forth. And they, they, they say, I can't admit that. I had one person in particular tell me, well, if I admit that's true, then I have to admit what I was taught in the church is a lie. And I said, well, yeah, because it is a lie, you know, and they didn't like that, but that's what the Bible says there. But we, we need to, 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 to share the gospel. And so that's just a challenge for us this evening. And so with that, we'll go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer tonight. Father, as we come to you, Lord, I pray that you would just take this time. I know it's not much teaching or much preaching as it is teaching. But God, I pray that if even just one person were to take this and go out and and, and lead to the Lord, God, that you that lead someone to the Lord, that you would do that, Lord. And if just one person would do it, it would, it would mean this whole service was, was just a blessing, God. It was meant to be, God. It was worth every bit of it, um, just even if one person gets saved. And so, God, I pray that you'd take these things and just help us, Lord, to be the witness you've called us to be, to be ready always. And, God, that we would uh, do it in a spirit of meekness and fear. And, God, that we would sanctify the Lord God in our hearts and be ready. And that we would walk in the spirit, um, not in the flesh, not in sin, so that we could be ready to present the gospel, Lord. Help us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And uh, with that, we'll go ahead and have a time of prayer and invitation here. The piano's playing. And maybe there in your heart, in your home, you would ask the Lord and say, God, Help me to be the witness that you want me to be. You know, I'm afraid to witness to people. And I'll, I'll tell you this much, 
So am I. So you're a preacher. Still, I still get nervous. There's some pretty intimidating people that are out there. And, and it's, it's, it's hard. But it's worth it. It's worth it for their soul. And we have to be willing to put ourselves aside for their soul. And so ask God to help you to be a witness. Ask God to help you to share the gospel. Ask God to help you with these things. Maybe you've never witnessed to someone. Why don't you say, you know what? I'm going to determine um, this time next week to, to at least witness to someone. If, if maybe you say, oh, I'm afraid to even do that, just give them a gospel tract. Just, uh, you know, say, you know, here's something to read. Just baby steps. You're not going to come out um, preaching and seeing hundreds of people get saved right away. Take, you grow in these things. It's, it doesn't come naturally to us. We have to grow. And so maybe... You say, well, I'm going to start by just giving out some tracks. You know what? I applaud you. I really do. Uh, because, you know, that's the first step. That's the first step. You say, well, maybe I'm going to try to share a verse with someone. That's another step. I encourage you. Maybe you put up some Bible verses there at your workplace. I encourage you. But ask the Lord to help you to be a witness. Ask the Lord to help you to share the gospel. Ask the Lord to help you to do what God has called all of us to do, to be the witnesses that uh, he expects out of us. And so, um, Pastor... Come, please.